Psalm 46, verse 10 says these words. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's pray. Father, would you take your own divine and inspired word And now, Lord, would you inscribe it in every heart and imprint it upon every mind. We thank you, Lord, for the singing, the songs of Zion, for the gospel and song. And we thank you, Lord, for all that's gone ahead, for Graham's testimony and what you've done in his life. We pray you'll bless him. And we do think of Jonathan, that you'll bless his ministry too. But for their wives, you'll keep your hand upon them and their family. And do them good, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. We pray now, Lord, for these next few moments allotted. We pray that you'll use my lips for your glory to bring your word to this people. For Jesus' name's sake, I ask it. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46 is known as a song of faith in troublesome time. I'll say it again. Psalm 46 is known as a song of faith in troublesome time. Even as we've heard tonight in testimony and in song, and Jonathan even speaking between songs, we all have something in our lives comes, goes, gets worse, gets better. But nevertheless, Psalm 46 is a song of faith in in troublesome times. When I was looking up Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still and know that I am God, I looked at the context of this verse and it's enemies around about God's people. Now the enemy might be from any shade that you can think of. Physical enemy, spiritual enemy, an enemy of the mind, of your thoughts. But whatever that enemy is tonight, here's what we want to look at. Be still and know that I am God. And I sat and thought about it and thought about it and I lifted down out of my library Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Treasury of David. Thought I'll look him up and see what he says and this is what he said about the psalm. You ready? Hold off your hands ye enemies. Sit down and wait in patience ye believers. That's what he says can be said about this psalm, but this verse, verse 10 in particular. Now you need to get this Christian in. You need to grasp hold of this tonight. Listen again. Hold off your hands, ye enemies. Sit down and wait in patience, ye believers. See, the word of God is a two-edged sword. And as it cuts through, it cuts both ways. And while he says to your enemy... Hands off, he says to his child, sit, wait, and be patient. Sit, wait, and be patient. Be still and know that I am God. Notice, be still. In a world, in a life, in a society of business and quick fixes, a world with fingertip ordering communications, And a society drunken on high-speed data and instant reply. With the people hooked on rapid eye movement games and screens. 
which is flooding their brains with artificial light and an unreality of true life and living as they're being dumbed down to the free falling of their lives into the abyss. God says to you tonight, be still. You're preoccupied. You're so busy. Life has you busy. Work has you busy. Job has you busy. You're busy in all manner of things. Sport has you busy. That which you want, which you love, which you desire has you busy. And God says, be still. Life has the world busy where God is in nowhere in their, their peripheral vision even. That God is nowhere in view. And now they find themselves that they're going on in life toward the abyss. Uncaring and unknowing that there's a lake of fire at the end of it. God's warning, God's calling to everyone this evening, those who are outside of Christ, is be still and know that I am God. God is unwanted in our lives. In our fast-moving pace of life, we miss it. In our fast-moving pace of life, we miss him in all of it. It's not just the alcoholic. It's not just the drug addict, as Graham told us in his testimony, as many of us once were, or some of us once were, where you're dumbed down to the place where we're so consumed by the drug and by the drink. But there's many other things that's in life that's consuming us, that's overruling us, and has become lords of us, that we find ourselves that many don't care or don't know that God says, be still and know that I am God. One day, you will stand before him. And Amos chapter 4 and verse 12, it's out in that wall as you come in and as you go out in the hallway, it says, be still and know that I am God. But there it says, prepare to meet thy God. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Should it be this moment? Are you prepared to meet the Lord? Are you prepared to meet God? We miss him. For while our modern achievements in many ways by man are good, they're also used by the enemy of our souls to distract us from God to other things. And idolatry is rife. Now listen, idolatry is rife in our nation. Idolatry is rife in our nation. I can take you to many so-called places of worship where there are idols and statues all around the walls and out in their gardens and in their graveyards and so on and so on. And we think, well, that's the idol. Yes, they are idols indeed. Many may bow down and venerate them and, and pray to them and so on. Yes, that is idolatry indeed. Very much so idolatry. But it's not the only idolatry that's in our nation. Excuse my voice. We think of idolatry. We think of anything that takes the place of Christ. Idolatry is anything that takes the time that should be allotted and given to Christ. They are anti-Christ. 
Anti means in the place of. Anti means in the place of Christ. Can I ask you tonight, what anti-Christ is in your life? Well, I've never thought of it like that. What anti-Christ? What idolatry is in the heart of man and of woman, of Christian, of professed Christian, and of sinner alike? Notice, anything that's in the place of Christ is anti-Christ. Note, not only in sport, but also in film, in music, Hollywood, all of these idols of idolatry are in our living rooms and in our homes. You ready? And they're in our hands. They're in our hands. And that time which we should be given on to Christ, Taking the place of Christ. It is an antichrist. I'm speaking to me. Am I speaking to you? Anyone or anything that takes the place of Christ or away from Christ is on the throne. The throne of your heart, your desires. It's like the old hymn writer or poet once said, the greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. To whom and to what are you giving your attention to tonight throughout your life? To whom and to what has taken the place of Christ in your life? God says be still. See, it causes us to be busy. Too busy for him. Too busy to read his word. Too busy to go into the closet to pray. Too busy to be in your place of worship. Now, I thank the Lord that we are here and he blesses us with so many faithful people in CET to fill the house week after week. But do you know that if we set our hearts to seek his face, if we set our minds to focus on him and yield our spirits unto his will, I believe we could start revival from within this place. Listen, be still. Two words. God says to you, would you be still? Sinner, would you be still and stop bypassing the cross? Stop going by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and be still for a moment. Behold his head, his hands, his feet. Behold the blood that he shed for you, that you might be saved and forgiven of all your sin. Would you be still for a moment and stand and look upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God? Listen. Listen, a look at the crucified one, a look at Christ will save you. If you get a good glimpse of him, the night I got saved, the night Eddie and Margaret took me down and I sat between them and I got saved, I saw the Lord dying for me. And I was saved. Notice, be still and know that I am God. Behold, 
the Christ of God. And Luke will save. He says, look and live. Look and live. But to gaze upon the Son of God and all his wonder and his splendor and his beauty, a look may save, but a gaze will sanctify the life. Because you're continuously looking at the perfect one. Changes your life forever. For example, be still in Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. It's a story of Jesus in the boat when he's resting his head on a pillow and he's asleep and a storm comes. And the waves come in and the disciples start to get afraid and they waken the Lord. Notice what it says in Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. It says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now notice what he said here. It says, He rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. Strange. He spoke. To the sea. He rebuked the wind, but he spoke to the sea. And there was a great calm. Notice this. I thought about this. The wind was the problem, not the sea. Think about it. The wind was the problem, not the sea, for he rebuked the wind, but he spoke calmness to the sea. Peace be still, he says, and in the midst of your storm, brother, sister, friend, in the midst of your trouble and your trial and your circumstance, (coughs) sometimes we're always crying, Lord, the circumstance, the trouble, the trial, the hurt, the, the pain of it, and all of these things, because we're human, and that's what we do, and we look at the storm and we become deflated, and we think we're going to sink. Do not know the wee song. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing by. You see, sometimes we have to realize and understand that it's not about changing the storm around you. It's not about changing the storm around you. There will always be storms around us. It's about changing you and the storm. He rebuked the storm, oh aye, but he spoke to the sea. (laughs) And he speaks to you in the storm that you're changed by the word of God, that you're changed by trusting in him. He says, be still. Be still and know. See, sometimes we don't realize who our God is, how big our God is, how powerful our God really is. God wants you to trust in him tonight. doesn't matter what it is. He wants you to trust him. But you notice, he wants you to know him. Be still and know. Do you know him? I've heard about him, but do you know him? Do you know him? Listen, are you intimate with him? When when Jesus said that he would cast those away who, knows, who he knows not. But God knows everyone. Yes, he does. But the idea is to know you in an intimate fashion, like a husband and a wife. That you would know me and I would know you with intimacy. Have you ever been intimate with Christ? Intimate in the word. Intimate in prayer. Intimate 
in worship, intimate in singing, intimate just you and him throughout the day or at night and the night watches. I couldn't sleep there during the weekend. I was thinking of a few things and I, and I just stayed up the whole night and at half three in the morning I just got the Bible open and sat in a read about half four or five. And I just sat in the living room quietly and I had no voice because my voice was bad. But he was able to read my lips. <laughs> and I was able to just, I couldn't pray. I just prayed as if it was hot and my lips were moving. There was no sound coming out. And I just sat and I started reading the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> I thought, why would I read that? Because that's what Christ had said to the devil. Quoted Deuteronomy three times. I says, Lord, I'm going to quote. I'm going to read that which you used to thwart the devil. And I started reading the book of Deuteronomy a half four in the morning, and I just prayed, and I was intimate with him. Intimacy with Christ. Notice this. I think the words of Spurgeon in the David's treasury is good here. Hold off your hands, ye enemies. Sit down and wait in patience, ye believers. Oh, your head's in a tailspin. You just want to jump out of your skin and run away. But you know, wherever you go, you can't get away from that thing that follows you. You can't get away from that illness even. You can't get away from those thoughts. Listen, be still. He says, be still. And know that I am God. He's the Lord in the midst of your storm. Secondly, quickly, here's a short question for you. How come the wind and the waves obey him? How come the wind and the waves could hear him? How come the wind and the waves could bow to him? Yet mankind refuses to acknowledge him. How does that work? Does this not show you and prove to you how lost man is without Christ? That man and woman, mankind is dead. Dead as dead as dead could be until the Holy Ghost comes and wakens you up. Doesn't that show you? That even the wind and the waves could acknowledge or obey him, but man cannot acknowledge him. Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Listen to Psalm 4 and 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. <clears throat> Selah. Selah means pause, stop, and think about this. Do you know something? There's no better time for God to get the hold of you. If you won't slow down during the day, it's when you're lying in bed and you're tossing and turning in your bed and the very thoughts start coming to your head. There's no better time that God gets the hold of your conscience. Has that ever happened to anyone? Listen to what an old Puritan George Swinnock said about this. When you have none to speak with, talk to yourselves. Ask yourselves, for what end were you made? What lives have you led? What times have you lost? What love have you abused? And what wrath have you deserved? Not powerful. Imagine thinking like that before you go to bed tonight. I'm going to say it again. 
When you have none to speak with, talk to yourselves, ask yourselves, for what end were you made? What lives have you led? What times have you lost? What love have you abused? And what wrath have you deserved? The most successful searches have been made in the night season, he writes. Now, when you go home tonight, if you're not saved tonight, may God the Holy Ghost take this and ask you these questions in your conscience. Why were you made? What's your life been like? What have you led? What times have you lost that you need to make up? What love have you abused? Speaking of Calvary, the abuse of the love of God, the abuse of the love of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. What love have you abused? And what wrath do you deserve? Listen, going to close. Job 37 and 14 says, hearken unto this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. And we could look at all the works of God, the very stellar constellations and all the things man's trying to work out, and we know God made it all. We can look at miracles that he's had, and we hear of how even Graham is raised up from that sickbed, from that uh, uh, intensive care unit, <clears throat> Intensive care unit. And even how he came to what we call the big tent event. That was 2012. And he came in and we had a healing service after the evening service in the tent. There was almost a thousand people at present. 850 or so. And we had a healing service and the people just kept flooding in. We called up anyone one prayed for and there's line after line after line. I didn't even know he was in the meeting. And all of a sudden, grain stands. And I tell you what you're wearing. You're wearing a black leather jacket and a pair of jeans. I remember this day. And there's this big fella standing in front of me. I knew him, obviously. You know, couldn't believe I'd seen him. And I popped my arms and just wrapped my arms around him. And I hugged you, praying with you. And somebody took our photo and put it online. <laughs> just with my arms around you, praying for you. Couldn't see you, but they knew who I was. <laughs> God touches him. What about the wondrous works of God? The things that he's done from the past for you. The same yesterday and today and forever. God who never changes says, I change not, saith the Lord. But look, if we're going to talk about the wondrous works of God, let's just go to Calvary. Let's just go to what his son has accomplished and done when he died for us and shed his blood. The wondrous works of God. There are so many standstills in Scripture I'll just read these out to you. If two more is Exodus 14 and 13. Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses said to Israel, when the Egyptians were coming up from behind and the sea would open, what about the wondrous works of the Red Sea opening? What about the wondrous works of them going across dry shod and, uh, and being safe on the other side? What about the wondrous works of the manna and the quail and the water out of a flinty rock? What about the wondrous works of God? There's none like the cross. There's none like Calvary. There's none what he's done. First Samuel 12 and 7. Samuel says, Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you. 
before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your fathers. And we can talk about the Pentecostal revival and we can talk about the Protestant Reformation and we can talk about the Puritans and we can talk about the Wesleys and we can talk about the Spurgeons and we can talk about all the missionary endeavors and we can talk about everything that's done. But listen, we need to realize that God had done all of that then. He is the same God this very evening sitting or standing here in the midst of you as you're sitting there. He's the same. The God that brought revivals, fires across Britain and across the United States. and He's the same. Let me reason with you for a minute, he says. He still saves sinners. Jesus Christ is Savior, Healer, Baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And look, he's the soon coming King. See God willing next week. I'm going to do something on the second coming of Christ. I've pray, been preaching salvation all the time. I still will. We've talked about healing. We had a healing meeting two weeks ago. And we've had a baptism seeking meeting too. So what about next week? We'll talk about prophecy. And the second coming of Christ. Okay? Notice. Be still and know that I am God. Here's what I've written. Notice, be still. Be still. Here's what I've written. What will it take for you to stand? Or what will it take for you to be still? Will it take an accident in intensive care? Now think about this. Where will God find you? In intensive care? In a hospital bed? An accident? God forbid. What will it take for you to be still? To realize that he's God. He found Abraham among the heathen in the Ur of the Chaldees. That's where he found him. He found Joseph in a prison. Moses in the backside of the desert. Joshua in the morning for Moses afraid to move on. Gideon at the threshing floor. He found Esther in Babylon. He found Amos in the desert and uh, following the herd and Elijah, he finds him under the juniper tree. And then in a cave, says, what does I hear, Elijah? He finds Daniel in a lion's den and three Hebrew children, he finds them in a fire. He finds them in a fire. He found David among the sheep as a young boy. He found Ezekiel by the river Kippur. He found Solomon as a young boy not knowing how to lead Israel forward asking for help and he finds fishermen at the seashore. He finds a woman at a well who had five husbands with number six and he must needs go through Samaria to reach that poor lady. He finds a demoniac cutting himself alone in the caves. He finds a blind man by the wayside and he finds Saul on the road to Damascus and changes him to Paul and he finds John on the Isle of Patmos. He found me. He found me on the broad road to destruction. He found me on the way of darkness to a sinner's hell. He found me on the way to a lake of fire. He found me. He rescued me. That's where he found me, in a place of alcohol, in a place of drug addiction. He found me. He found Graham. He found him at the same sort of a place. He found him in intensive care. What will it take for to say, stand still or be still and know that I am God? 
What will it take and where will it be that he finds you? Is it better not? Is it better not, friend, that he finds you here tonight bowing at the foot of the old rugged cross? Is it not better that he finds you coming under the blood of Jesus tonight? Is it not better that he finds you in repentance crying for mercy? Is it not better that he finds you sitting here in the house of God listening to songs of Zion and testimony of a saving grace and you yielding to his Holy Spirit? Is it not better tonight? It's not better that he finds you still because you're now at the cross. Not better, this is where he finds you. And he finds you that you've died without him. That you've died without salvation. That you've died without the blood. That you've died and now you stand before him. Tonight he says, be still and know. He still doesn't know that I'm God. He may say, Ken, your voice is completely gone now, but you know what? If it helps to wake you up with the Spirit's anointing, it's worth it. It's worth it. 